Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Speaking of spiritual warfare this morning, and uh, actually this is the sort of the impetus message, these two messages, are the impetus messages behind the whole Paul's playbook. So I leaned over to my wife during worship, I was trying to sing, and all of a sudden I'm like, my voice is totally going. Do you hear it? <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? I wake up in the morning, I have a strong voice. I sing one half of one song, and all of a sudden my voice goes, hasta la bye-bye. I wonder, I, I wonder, come on. <clears throat> I am not a super-duper, super-spiritual guy. I know you may think I am. Well, he's a pastor. He's got to be. I am not a super-spiritual guy, okay? I'm a very practical, logical thinker. Most... (laughs) Wow. Thank you. Appreciate that. So all all that... Wow. I, I don't think most things people see as spiritual. My wife was in college. I'll, I'll tell you a story, and then we'll get around to Harvest Palooza. But my wife was in college, and there were these girls that were flipping out in the dorms that there were demons in their room. They were seeing demon eyes on their wall. Y'all have heard this story before, but there's demon eyes on the wall, bobbing back and forth. So they started freaking out, and, and, uh, and they got all the guys in the dorms, all the guys are praying for these girls that have a demon-infested room, Right? Don't ever heard you've been around church. You've heard stuff like this, right? People like going crazy, and the guys are holding prayer meetings, and the girls are going over there and anointing their room with oil and casting out the demons. My wife was their RA, so she uh, um, walks into their room, says, "Next time you guys see the demons, come and get me." So she walks in her room, and uh, the demon eyes appeared on the wall, and they said, "Come, come! The demons are here." She walked over, she looked at the wall. She looked at the lampshade the wall. And the she walks over to the window and takes her hand and does this and runs in front of the window, and the demon eyes disappear. There was a light outside that kicked on and off occasionally, and when it would come on, it would cast such a light that through the blinds, there would be two holes in the blinds that shine on the wall, and when the wind would move through the blinds, the eyes would move. Or the, guys, predisposition. of what you think is your demonic activity is your imagination. So what I want to do is I want to sort of demythalize, demythologize. Rough day, yeah. I want to take away some of the mythness of this. And I want to get really practical today from what the scriptures say what the scriptures really say rather than the craziness that we guys we have a tendency as followers of Jesus because we believe in a resurrected king of the universe and that sounds so mythical we have a tendency to go mythical about everything and the resurrection of Jesus is not a myth it's a fact are, are you all following me? 
Jesus really did die. He really was buried, and he really was resurrected on the third day, and he really is the king of the universe, whether you can see him, touch him, or feel him or not. And I believe there's a factuality and a logic and some sense to our spiritual development that we need to commit to. What I want to do is I want to teach us some scriptures. And one of the ways we're going to learn today that you win spiritual warfare is you simply walk your faith life. And one of the ways we're going to walk our faith life is we're going to, you ready for this? We're going to do Harvest Palooza. Harvest Palooza is coming, and if you have not signed up, shame on you. If you haven't signed up, let me know. We will pull out the wet noodles, and we will beat you with the wet noodles until you sign up. It's because you need to sign up now. Walk through the back doors today at the Hub. There are sign-up sheets. You can get sheets to pass out to your neighbors, friends, invite people, share it online. But we need you to make Harvest Palooza awesome, and we also need you to begin praying for Harvest Palooza. Um, there are a couple of things we're going to pray for Harvest Blues. We're going to pray, number one, that it be seven, 75 and sunny with only an occasional cloud. No rains like Friday night. Yeah, yeah. All right. You know what else we need? Because we, need, we don't have a rainout date for this. It's we do it or we don't do it. So we're doing it. And we're, we're doing it. All right. <laughs> so Sunday, we wanted uh, uh, Harvest Palooza, September 5th, 75 and sunny, God. You hear that? You know what else we want? We pay a lot of money for fireworks, but I love when one firework goes up and loaves and fishes happen in the sky and four go off. I believe it happens. And we're going to pray for it to happen, right? We're paying for one, but God give us four, right? Another thing we're going to pray is we're going to pray, Father God, would you open up the hearts of people that they would experience the body of Christ loving them and that Jesus would get a good game, right? And the last thing is, Father God, would you give every person that serves a joy of serving, so much so that they want to serve again over and over and over again because something happens in their heart while you do it. And if they're resisting you from serving, smack them hard. Amen. <laughs> All right, so make sure you sign up today. We only have two more weeks to sign up. Tonight at 5 o'clock p.m., if you are a person managing a schedule, if you're a department leader or a team leader, tonight at 5 o'clock we have a meeting here, just a reminder of that, and we're going to meet tonight. So uh, we do a lot of work behind the scenes, so you get to work for a couple hours. And we thank all of those who go the extra mile. Now, what is Harvest Palooza? Short video so you can see. So make sure you sign up for Harvest Palooza. Uh, so what do you call a nervous javelin thrower? A Shakespeare. <laughs> what kind of exercise do lazy people do? Diddly squats. 
so I, I never made the connection while I go. The reason I ran back is I had to go get a pill for my throat to help my, my throat come around. And here we are. I come out late. And thank you, Pastor Garrett, for covering. Would you all stand to your feet in honor of God's word? All right. You got a Bible. I, you're going to want to be in Ephesians. We're going to go through a lot of pl- places in Ephesians today. Um, it's a two-part sermon series. Today I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. And next week, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare within you. Or, if you will, in the heavenlies and in your head. So today is spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. Next week, spiritual warfare in your head. You're going to want to be here for that one. All right, so uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. (laughs) Look at somebody and say, you're alive? You are dead. You're alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and, notice this, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. He just bursts out and said, you know, guys, you don't deserve this. You were dead. You acted like everybody else. You were submitted to the world's powers and the spirits and the heavenly realms. You were submitted. You acted just like everybody else. But it is by grace you have been saved. You didn't do anything to earn it. God gave it to you. And notice this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the where? In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So what we're going to talk about today is we're talking about the spirit warfare in the heavenlies. Next week, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare in your head. But I want to positionally place us today. Let's finish this passage. In order that the coming ages he might show. So why did God raise us up and put us in the heavenly realms? What this heavenly warfare all about? That he might show the incomparable great riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then once again, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of work, so that no one could boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. So the whole purpose of this is there is this heavenly dimension to our earthly lives. There are spirits in the heavenlies, And God is revealing his plan somehow through us to them, and he's had this planned long before we ever showed up. I don't understand all this. I'm going to tell you what I do read in Scripture, but I'm going to tell you I don't understand it all. And if you say you understand it all, you don't. You're lying. There are some things, to use Paul's words regarding this, it is a mystery. It is a mystery. But the one thing I want to make very, very clear from the get-go is what we do in our lives matters for all eternity and throughout all of the heavenlies. Who you are and whether you walk out God's calling for you, whether you serve at Harvest Palooza or not, matters in the heavenlies for all times. 
There is an intentionality about what God has called you to that is bigger than just your moments of pleasure. It is about a grand display and theme of his for all ages, for all times, in all spaces and places throughout the universe. If you think your life doesn't matter, just realize God is using you to declare his glory through the entire universe. Wow. All right, so this is what we're going to do. You're going to turn somebody close to you, and you're going to say, man, you're important. And then you can be seated this morning. You may be seated this morning. All right, I want to give you three statements that we can affirm regarding this level of spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. And uh, I'm going to try to do this as quickly as I know how. I'm going to try to give you a biblical, the spiritual cosmology is what I want to talk to you about. And the first one is there are powers in the heavens. So our text says that there is a ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, this spirit is influential in its interaction with the disobedient. In other words, there's something to be said here of the disobedient kingdom, and this spirit in the air is in control over it. Now, this same text teaches that we then have a seat of power in the heavenly realms, and I believe according to what I'm going to show you from Ezekiel, our seat of power is above and more powerful than all the spirits in the heavenly realms that may oppose. All right. You say, what's he talking about? If you got a Bible, open with me back to Ezekiel chapter 1. I want you to see this. Ezekiel chapter 1. So Paul did not form his thoughts in a vacuum. He formed his thoughts because he was an avid student of the Old Testament scriptures. And being an avid student of the Old Testament scriptures, he brought his theological and cosmological views to his understanding based upon the things he learned from the Old Testament scriptures. So we go back to Ezekiel chapter 1 to find out what Paul is talking about, these seated with Christ and the spirits and the powers in the air. All right, Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 4. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning surrounded by a brilliant light. And the center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the fire, what was looked like four living creatures. So there is something going on, and then there's this fire, and there are four living creatures. Ezekiel is written, for those of you that do not know, while the, while the Israelite people were in captivity in Babylon. I, I wish I had time to really explain more of the understanding of of the gods, but the fact of the matter is the Babylonians were claiming that they were more powerful than God because they had conquered God's people and conquered the temple. And it was into this environment where the Israelites are being berated by the people around them that their gods are more powerful than the God of Israel that Ezekiel sees this vision. And in this place in this fire was what looked like four living creatures. Their appearance was a form as human. Each of them had faces, uh, four faces, four wings, their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings were four sides. They had human hands and four of them had faces and wings. Now, you and I don't get this because we don't get this. We don't really understand. What Ezekiel, I believe, is actually doing is describing 
the powers that were ruling Babylon. And uh, I, I sat through an Old Testament class years ago, and one of my professors went into greater detail than I can in these three minutes. But I want to show you a picture and ask you if what we just read looks anything like this picture. And this stone relief was found at a temple. Human face, wings, legs like a calf. Now, the descriptions that are being given in, in Ezekiel chapter 1, people want to apply them to angelic beings. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is this, is that Ezekiel is seeing a vision. You don't take visions literally, right? Peter, get up and kill and eat all these animals. Peter didn't have animals there to kill and eat. You can read about it in the book of Acts. But it's a vision, and a vision teaches us something without all the actual facts actually having to be accurate, which is why some of you really should not read the book of Revelation is because you want to read it as literal instead of a vision. There's a lot of depth to what I'm saying today. I hope you guys are holding on to it. So here we are. He's seeing things like this. He's describing in Babylon things that are spiritual powers if he will, he's probably describing the gods of Babylon. And why does this matter? Well, because his vision goes on to say about these beings something about God. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26, now this is the same chapter he's been describing these beings and how they move and all this kind of stuff. And then he says, they're in a vault. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26, it says, above the vault where they are. Above the vault where all of these spiritual beings exist. Where, it, where is it? Come on, it is where? Above. It is in control over. It is beyond it. It is more powerful than it. It is above it. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And from there down, he looked like fire. His brilliant light surrounded him and like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was a radiance around him. And notice what Ezekiel says. He doesn't call this God. He says, I can't even describe it as God. All I saw was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. <laughs> he can't even say he saw God. He saw something that looked like the appearance of the glory not even God's essence, but his glory, just what was radiating out of him. And it was so powerful that it overpowered the powers underneath it. Are y'all following me here? So when Paul talks about the spirits of the air that are disobedient, we want to get worked up about them. Paul's cosmology, and he said, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, above them. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, that is why it says, when he ascended on high, speaking of Jesus, he took many captives. <laughs> that would be us, those who were dead in our trespasses and sin. He took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. And what does he ascended mean? Except that he descended to lower earthly regions. He who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Your view of God is too little. And when he ascended, he took us 
his captives with us, and he seated us with him in positions of authority. Are, are y'all reading this in the Bible? Are y'all catching this? All right, I, I just want to be very, very clear. By the way, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is, is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in what? What authority or power has anything to say against the power of God? None. Part of our problem when we view spiritual warfare is we put God and Satan as equals. There is a dualism in most of American Christianity. God is good, devil is bad, the two are equal. No, they are not. God is superior in everything and Satan is at his feet. Second, our struggle is against these powers. Our struggle is against these powers. Paul declares that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against people on Facebook. <laughs> our struggle is not against coworkers. It's not against the government. Mm-hmm. Our struggle is against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. <laughs> so these principalities and powers, they're hindering the revelation of God. All right, I'll give you another Old Testament story. Are y'all engaged in this? Can I, can I just teach it and, and, and we'll let it settle where it may? Daniel, Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel is trying to get a revelation of who Jesus is, and Daniel wound up with one of the clearest revelations of who Jesus is and literally prophesied his birth and how he would be born and where he would be born, no matter what, hundreds of years before Jesus came to this earth and prophesied it to near nearly literally the day, he prophesied the year, prophesied the coming of the church and the kingdom of God. He prophesied all these things, and he did so because he received a revelation of Jesus. Now, he is now struggling in Daniel chapter 10. He's struggling to find this revelation. <clears throat> and an angel appears to him and said, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. Even when I don't see it, right? You're working. We sung it. We have a hard time with it, though, because we think we're praying if God's not doing something right now, right here, he's not working. You know, I used to interview a lot of church planners. It was part of my job to, to, to do some testing to see if they were going to succeed or fail. And I, there was one thing that always I had to ask them to find out whether they were going to succeed and fail. And if they didn't answer this question right, they were going to fail as a church planter. And it proved over and over and over again when they actually paid the money and put the people out there to plant churches and they answered this question wrong, they failed every time. And I would say, <laughs> this is the key question actually to your success as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the question was this, what have you been praying about a long time that God hasn't answered yet? 
And if you haven't been praying about something for a long time that God hasn't answered yet, well, then you're probably just sort of going along with the flow rather than fighting against the principalities and powers. So he said, from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and now I've come in response to them. (laughs) But the prince of the Persian kingdom, which is a, a, a statement talking about whatever that power is in the heavenly realms, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Daniel fasted and prayed for 21 days before he got the answer, before God sent him the answer that he was asking for. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Notice who came to help him. We're going to come back to this in just a second. Who? Michael. Does anybody know who Michael is? Archangel, yeah. We'll come back to that in a second. But the archangel comes and helps against the... So God dispatches, finally, Michael to deal with these dudes so that the answer can get through to the guy living down here. Are are y'all following this? God, above it all, dispatches Michael the archangel to fight against these powers so that the answer can get through. There's our cosmology for you. There's our understanding of how it works. So, in this description of who the Prince Persia is, of who the, the opponent of our soul is, I wanted to describe for you, I just want to make very clear what the job description of the powers of darkness are and what is the job description of Jesus Christ. I want to, I want to draw this contrast and I want to do it right here so that you can know what's going on, all right? John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But what does Jesus want for you? That's what this layer, they want to steal, kill, and destroy. What does God want for you? Jesus Christ himself wants to give you life and the kind that is overflowing. This is parisio life. This is Greek. It means you're bubbling up over the top. You've got more than you need. Overflowing life. God wants that kind of life for you. But the, dark, the powers in the heavenly realms want you to live stolen from, destroyed and without life, all right? One more thing, John 8, 44, how do we know what the powers are of darkness? This, with those girls I told the story about, you know, their, their, their demon eyes on the wall, actually demon interaction did happen in that moment because their fear gave the devil a foothold. The lie of something happening that didn't happen actually opened the way for the demonic in their lives because the devil's only real power is lies. We'll talk about this next week when we talk about spiritual warfare in your head. But look at this, John chapter 8, verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was, what, what is Satan's job description? He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and father of all lies. And that's what I used to tell my kids all the time. You can can tell me anything you want to, but do not lie to me. Because when you lie, when you lie, you are talking the devil's language. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to your spouse. Don't lie to your boss. We are to be people of the truth, not people of lies. And yet, because I tell you the truth, Jesus said, you do not believe me. All right. 
So there are spirits in the heavens that influence our culture. And how do they influence our culture? Through lies. Can we go back to this? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. You used to live, this is the way you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom there, the spirit who has not worked with those who are disobedient. So what happens is every time, come on, do you know why we have such an identity issue in America today? Do you know why we have such an identity issue? Because the devil is lying to you about who you are. You're not listening to God's truth about who you are. You're listening to the lies about. Do you know why we have such anxiety today? You know why we have such anxiety? Because we're not willing to listen to the truth of God's word. We want to listen to the lies of the devil that we can control things that are beyond our control. The devil is a liar. And if he comes to you and he fills your heads with lies, I'm I'm preaching next week, I'll stop. Jesus declared our victory over these powers. Now, I was reading, I was sitting right there the other day, and I was reading in the Greek New Testament as I was, I I came across this passage, and it was like the Holy Spirit confirmed everything I'm supposed to say to you in these two sermons here. He confirmed it when he said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he said, I saw, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. (laughs) He was above him, and he saw him fall. I saw. Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then he said to his disciples who had gone out, the 72 who had gone out and they had cast demons out and seen people healed in sickness, he said, I have given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions. He's not talking literally snakes and scorpions. He's talking about the the powers of darkness. And he says, and you have the power to overcome all the power of the enemy. You underestimate the power you have in Jesus. And the reason is, maybe we'll talk about next week in your head, but in the heavenlies, you are seated with Christ. So just a simple question before I go any further. If you are seated with Christ and you have power over all the powers of darkness, what power of darkness do you need to be afraid of? Come on, what power of darkness do you need to be afraid of? About a third of you get this. So I'm going to keep going until you all get it. If Jesus Christ lives in your heart and you are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus in authority over all powers of darkness, what power of darkness do you need to be afraid of? Because number three, Christ's power is greater. So we don't fight demons. Do you know that? We don't fight demons. As a Christian, do not fight demons. It's not your job. Just turn on the light. (laughs) Jesus said, you are the what? Light of the world. And darkness, wherever there is the power of darkness, darkness exists because there is no light. And if you are confronted with the powers of darkness, it is not your job to curse the darkness. It is your job to be the light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. (laughs) You can't live like the world and turn on the light. For you were once, you were once in darkness, but now 
You are light. Not you have light. You what? You are light. It is who you, if you've been seated with Christ, you are now light to a darkened world. You are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. <laughs> For the fruit of life consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. What is, and, and I love this line. Find out. What pleases the Lord? Those of you that are younger, listen to me. Listen to me. I grew up in church too. And I wanted to know how close I could get to living like the world and still be a Christian. And I just want to tell you, that is a really empty way to live your life. It really doesn't work because what ends up happening is you get sucked into the darkness and your light goes out. So do this. Find out what pleases the Lord and then do it. If you'll find out what pleases the Lord, you'll do it. Then you'll never have to worry about whether or not I'm going to die and go to hell. I, come on. Don't, don't see how close you can get to the fire without being burned. See how close you can live in the light. There you go. And then it says, find out what pleases the Lord. And, and notice this. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So how... When demonic powers come against us, what is our job? It's not to be the victor. It's not to convince them we're right. No, it's to turn on the light. Turn on the light. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. His intent, God's intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly realms. <laughs> I love it. God is using you to manifest his glory throughout the universe according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence so um, have you ever heard anybody say and I'm going to sort of try to wrap all this up and pull it together in a neatly tied bow here so you can understand it have you ever heard anybody say the world's getting worse every day anybody heard that yeah Things are just getting so bad. I don't know how we're going to hang on to it. I, I want to call horse hockey. Can I call horse hockey? I don't believe the world's getting worse. I believe the world is what the world is, and they're the same thing, just repackaged. And we may have moments where those things are not as freely shared, but they still exist. I don't believe the world's getting worse. I believe our lights are going a little dim. So, <clears throat> let's... How, how bad is it now? I mean, of course, we have abortion in our culture. We have sexual perversion in our culture. I wonder if the early church encountered things like abortion and sexual perversion. Hmm. Can I tell you the state of the world into which the early church entered? Y'all be all right with this? We'll give you a couple of stories. Number one, Cicero wrote, who was a government official, about... Um, probably about 80 B.C., he wrote in his diatribe called On Laws, On the Laws. So this is a government official in Rome said, deformed infants shall be killed. That was the law of the land. Uh, Stoic philosopher Seneca, who lived from 4 B.C. to 65 A.D., around sometime shortly after the birth of Christ, wrote, and, and this is a quote of his, 
Mad dogs we knock in the head. A natural prodigy we destroy. We drown even children at birth who are weakly and abnormal. What if you lived in a culture that if you gave birth to a child and it wasn't what you wanted, wasn't the sex you wanted, didn't look or act the way you wanted, you just left it out for exposure, which means you'd take it to the edge of the woods and you let it go, and the law of the land was that you were required to do so. Or you just drown it or kill it. Now, let me, I, I know abortion is horrible, and I know it is a, it, it's not God's plan, but, but too many Christians got way too worked up about abortion. And, and don't, don't, don't get me wrong here. I'm, please don't send me email. Send it to I don't give a rip at Kevin.com. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying, though, that I think what we've done is focused on the wrong thing. What, what if we had more Christians that were foster parents instead of complaining you were actually a part of the solution rather than spending all your... Because you know what the early church did? The early church would go to the edge of the woods and find the kids that were left to die and would get those kids and raise them. And, of course, it was those kids who became Christians as they grew up. And that's part of the way they turned to culture is they actually shared the love of Jesus with people who were unloved. In, instead of cursing the darkness, they turned on the light. <laughs> I, I know, that's, that's too deep for us on a Sunday morning. How about sexual perverse activity? I wonder if any perversity happened in early Rome. <laughs> you know, Nero, you ever hear Nero? He was the, uh, the king of the government. <laughs> he was president, if you will. Controlled Congress for like 10 years. He was married three times. Do you know Nero was married three times? His first wife was named Pythagoras. Well, actually, no. His first husband was Pythagoras, and Nero was the bride. His second was a girl named Poppea, and when she got pregnant... And made him mad, he kicked her in the stomach and killed both her and the baby. And his third spouse <laughs> was named Sporus, who was a prepubescent boy, probably 10 years of age, whom Nero castrated so he could remain hairless and feminine. You want to tell me our sexual world's goofed up now? Yeah, I, I, I know. I know it is. But can we just say that they didn't have marches on Rome? The Christians didn't to change this? <laughs> Emperor Hadrian, the one two after Nero, had a Greek sex slave. He literally took him as a sex slave, as a prepubescent boy. And what's amazing to me is if you do any research on Hadrian and Antonius, it's what the homosexual movement now uses the ultimate love story, and they've made this into movies and books and those kind of things. And, and the problem is, is that uh, it's not an ultimate love story. The kid was a sex slave that wound up probably killing himself when he was 20 years old. And you want to tell me our world's messed up now? Yes, our world's messed up now. But I'm telling you, the early church did not walk into pristine, clean lifestyles. Yes. 
They walked into a mess too. But yet within 300 years, this church of about 120 people, 500 people who saw Jesus alive, literally turned the entire world upside down that this government that was unjust bowed its knee to Jesus. And how did that happen? It didn't happen through protests. It happened because the church lived the light. Our problem is, is that we want to tell people all they ought to do, and we don't want to be what we ought to do. And I want to challenge you that you are seated with Christ, and you have power and authority over every power of darkness. And that you are living far less than the life God has called you to because you're just struggling to get by rather than being an example in the heavenly realms of an almighty God who loves you and wants to change the world through you. You're living way too little. Spiritual warfare isn't how good you can bind up demons. It's how good you can live in the light. We don't fear. We don't chase and we don't emphasize spirits and powers, we overcome them. I I, I got a quote I got to read, all right? Then we're going to celebrate communion. Imagine a world where people who were skeptical of what we believed were envious of how well we treated one another. Imagine a world where unbelievers were anxious to hire to work for, to work with, to live next door to Christians because of how well we love God and we love one another. Imagine a world like that. Tell you what, if you're seated in Christ Jesus, I want you to walk out of these doors and start acting like it. You have power. Stop saying you don't and start walking in it. All right. We're going to celebrate communion. So if you haven't received a communion element, we're going to pass those out. Uh, Just raise your hand. Somebody's got one if you need one. I believe we have, uh, Tiffany, are you the one with uh, the gluten-free option? Tiffany's got her gluten-free option. Catch her eye if you want a gluten-free option. She's looking around. Make sure you contact her. If you're online, grab a, I don't care, grab a cup of coffee and a piece of toast. I don't care. Get something. It's not about the element. It's about the Lord that we're remembering. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. I think it's funny that, um, anyway. There are theologies that turn this into things that it is not and was never scripturally intended to be. What this is, is a remembrance of who Jesus is. You know, if you're in this place though and you've never made Jesus your Lord, this moment's gonna be a little foreign to you because you're wanting to celebrate something that you, it's like going to a birthday party when you don't know anybody at the birthday party. And I want to give you an opportunity right now. If you've not made Jesus your Lord, I want to give you an opportunity right now, just in your heart, 
I want you to say, Jesus, be my Lord. I give you my life. I believe in you. By grace, I have been saved. I now receive it. If you prayed that prayer, you know, God did something in you right now. And you're made new. You need to tell somebody about that if you just did that. If you're on the online, text believe to the number on the screen. They will love. All right. So how do we... Um, <clears throat> How do we fight spiritual warfare? We do two things. Right living and prayer. Right living and prayer. Um, you know, Daniel was fasting and praying 21 days. The answer came. Right living and prayer. Right living and prayer. Right living and prayer. As a matter of fact, you would think Jesus like taught us to pray um, a prayer that would actually embrace these two things to give us victory. I wonder if he did. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We want to do right living. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us what we need. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us, you know, our sins, our debts, the things we've done that we shouldn't. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who've done things against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. What, what's that? Huh. Deliver us from the evil one. You notice everything for your, your victory is sort of jammed into one little prayer. And I wanted to end today by reminding you that this is a great prayer to pray. And to pray it on a regular basis. Maybe think through it when you're praying. As a matter of fact, our service is pretty much focused around this. Every time we get together, our lives are. And I wanted us to pray this prayer together out loud as you hold these elements in your hand. So I'm going to ask you, grab your bread in one hand. Let's pray this together. Out loud, everybody. Can everybody do it? Y'all be all right? Everybody good? Good. Could we with one voice glorify our God and Savior by doing this together? Here we go. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. And Jesus, thank you that this cup is a reminder that we are seated in the heavenly realms with you. As we partake of this cup, we declare that we will be light in a dark world. Amen. Let's partake together. Can you guys sing that song and then I want to come back and pray one of Paul's prayers to dismiss us? And now I pray Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. 
And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Does this make a little more, since we talked about this a little bit, does this make a little bit more sense that, that Paul wants you to know the hope to which you're called to, to be seated with Christ and power over man. I, I hope it does, all right? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. There are four Greek words for power. He uses them one in a row. He says that power, number one, is like the mighty, number two, strength, number three, which he exerted or worked when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but in case you're wondering, everyone to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over the church. And you are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Go live like it. God bless you. Have a great week.